everybody. I'm sorry I was not here to uh, greet you. Um, I have not been feeling 100% and I thought it was just best if I kept my distance from y'all. So anyway, I decided to come a little bit late and uh, probably end up leaving a little bit early. But uh, it is not because of anything other than your safety. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So good to see all of you. So good uh, to see all of you online as well. Um, it is the second week in, of Advent, which, my goodness, I, I can't believe it already. In fact, uh, driving over um, with my youngest, we were talking about there's something like three weeks till Christmas, which she reminded me of that, that there was three weeks to Christmas, and I think there was a hint of what's my Christmas present. So I'm not sure. It didn't come out, but it was implied. I'm fairly certain. So. Anyway, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to make some comments as we go along, and then I'm going to offer a thought today. So Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If you have uh, a Bible app, go ahead and punch it in. I actually want to kind of take this in chunks uh, because there's some some things uh, in here that deserve some comment as we go along. So let's uh, let's pull this out. Luke chapter 1, um, I'm actually going to be in verse uh, 26. This will be a familiar passage to you if you've spent any amount of time in the church, especially at Christmas. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now let's stop right there. Because um, there are some uh, translations that talk about the sixth month of, you know, of, of Elizabeth's uh, pregnancy, which is really quite interesting because the first part of this chapter is taken up with the story of Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, and the foretelling of the birth of their child, um, the man who had um, uh, come to be known as John the Baptizer, uh, which is Jesus' cousin, and so there's this really interesting family dynamic that's there. highly recommend that you read it. It's a great story. Elizabeth, too, has this divine sort of aspect because an angel appeared to her husband and foretold John the Baptizer, and he is the forerunner of the Messiah. And of course, in this, path, in this little section here, we are introduced to Mary, the heroine of this ta- tale. And there's a quick note that I want to make here um, for those of you who are interested in things like language and whatnot. Um, it says that uh, a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, the word virgin can actually um, be translated in a variety of different ways, but it typically means a, a young woman of marriageable age. Okay, now there's been a lot of discussion about this over the years, and um, in that culture, virgin and maritable age were one and the same. Okay, that was just kind of what the uh, accepted um, cultural norm was. So those two words are interchangeable. In this particular case, they're making an emphasis of the fact that Mary was a virgin. <clears throat> So keep that, keep that in mind. It's a highly religious culture, so why wouldn't it be the same? Okay. Moving on to verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So this angel shows up and a conversation ensues. Um, And it's interesting here that Mary is troubled. And uh, this deserves a certain amount of of understanding because the word here, um, there's a couple of different ways, but it carries with it this idea of being alarmed and even agitated. Okay, so imagine, if you will, uh, that you are speaking to an angel and the angel gives you some kind of news. And before he gives you the news, he, he makes mention of who you are. You are highly favored. Now, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a speculation here, but I wonder if Mary is like, what are you talking about? I live in a redneck, backwater, little town, out in the middle of nowhere. How am I highly favored? I wonder this. That's just me. That's not in the text. But why else would she be alarmed? Why else would she be agitated? The other possibility, and I think more likely the case, is the fact that the angel showed up altogether. And very often in um, uh, Old Testament encounters with angelic beings, the primary feeling is fear. Now here, Mary doesn't fall on her face um, out of fear, and the angel is very quick after she is troubled to say, don't be afraid. So that gives us a little insight into what's going on. The bottom line here is this is a, (laughs) this is one of those moments where um, Mary's a little bit shocked and surprised and not sure how to take things, and the angel tries to calm her down. So keep that in mind as we go along as well. So there's a, 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 lot of, a lot of other parts of the text that help us understand this. And Gabriel then delivers um, a prophetic word to her. Here we are in verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I would think at that point, that's when she would be troubled and agitated, right? You know, kind of this, you're going to be with child. Wait a minute, what? Can you imagine this, right? So he makes, makes this, this statement, this prophetic um, statement. And and this story references all kinds of different Old Testament prophecies, but it alludes to Israel's greatest monarch, which is is King David. And and also, please note that the name Jesus is actually significant here because it is a variation on the word Yeshua, or what we would call Joshua. And Yeshua in Hebrew means savior or salvation, depending on how you translate it. So, and you will give him the name Jesus because it's a variation on that. <clears throat> and as you can imagine, Mary is still taking all of this in and, and she's thinking about stuff. And so she says, verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Well, now this is a great question to ask, I think. And what I find so interesting about it, and this kind of struck me as I was reading through it again, is that Mary was probably around 13 years old. Now let that sink in for a moment, Okay. Now, a lot of you know my youngest daughter, Eliana. She's about to turn 12. So if that gives you kind of a place to think about this, Mary could have been as young as 13, 14 years old. And 
there's this part of me that wonders if the whole, you know, uh, throne of the father David kind of not necessarily went over her head, so to speak. But she's not thinking about that. She's thinking a little more pragmatically, isn't she? She's like, wait a second. I'm still a virgin. How is this supposed to happen? Now, whether or not it was her religious upbringing or whatnot, obviously that uh, struck a bit of a chord in her, and she's, she's asking, um, how? <laughs> right? It's uh, easy to forget that these are real people, and they're living in real times, and they're asking real questions, and they don't have the benefit of having read the end of the story like you and I have. They are living it as they go along. And she gets an answer in verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Um, actually, I think in uh, some translations it will overshadow you, which I think is interesting. Oh, there it is, yeah. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. So the, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And look at Mary's response, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I'm not convinced that she fully understood what she was getting into, okay? But hearing it from an angel helps, don't you think? I mean, how many times would you, you know, like to have either a burning bush moment or an angel show up, right? I just, I would take a no, Lord, if you would just, you know, be real clear and kind of dramatic about it. That would be great. But here's the problem with that, and this is the thing you have to remember. You have to remember this. The bigger the sign, the bigger the task. The reason why there's a burning bush moment is because Moses had an impossible task without God. He needed to be reminded over and over again that there was a burning bush in the desert, Mary would have multiple times where she would have to go back and say, no, no, an angel showed up and told me this. All of the difficulty that she faced, she was going to need some form of encouragement. So don't be so quick to want those type of miraculous sort of supernatural types of prophetic events. Because the bigger the sign, the bigger the task. Okay? So keep that in mind. Not that you shouldn't seek it, but the point is, is that uh, there's kind of this relationship that we see between the two. And Mary's definitely going to need that kind of encouragement. Now, one of the things that I really enjoy about my job is that when I, when I get to spend um, some time in the text, I feel like, uh, well, I love what happens is when I, when I actually when I actually learn something new or something strikes me that I've never seen before. I, I don't know. I probably preached on, you know, the Christmas story, I don't know, 15, 20 times. I have no idea. A lot, okay? And every now and then, I'll just come across something that I never noticed before. And I really, I, I enjoy that. I like those kinds of surprises. And I don't really like surprises. I really don't. You know, like, happy birthday, surprise. That's okay. I don't mind that one. But um, these are the kinds of surprises I like right? <clears throat> Something that I hadn't noticed before. And so I want you to look at um, verse 39 here. So the angel leaves and it says, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country 
of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her relative, the older one who was barren and was now going to have a child. And I've been thinking about this a, a little bit because she immediately travels. Now, whether it's excitement for Elizabeth or something else, I think it shows a certain amount of wisdom on Mary's part, even to be um, of a young age. <clears throat> she got out of Dodge. And I think that was probably smart given everything that just occurred and everything that was going to happen. She left and she went to see her relative. Now, I suppose, as I think about it, <clears throat> there is a part of her who who wanted to see the relative to verify what the angel had said, okay? Because remember, there's no cell phones. There's not even telegraph at this point, right? So she travels down south to the hill country and goes to see her, her relative. And I think it's to verify what the angel said. And again, that's just wisdom, right? She gets out of Dodge and she goes and trusts but verifies nothing wrong with that. God's not afraid of that kind of stuff. And I think that helps her to be faithful as well. And it's a neat little story that, that, comes, <clears throat> that comes up here um, where they have this conversation and apparently John leaps in the womb and you know the story, right? But getting out of, out of town, I think is a, is a really good, was a really good plan for her. Not just to verify what was happening with Elizabeth, but also um, just for her to kind of get uh, some distance between herself and her small town. Why? Remember, it's a backwater town. It's a small town. And guess what? There's gossip. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of gossip that goes on. <clears throat> I can't even imagine what that social pressure would be like. And just because it's God doesn't mean it's easy. Let that sink in for a minute. God has said, this is what's going to happen. But you know everybody in that small backwater town is going to be kind of looking at her with one of these. All right. But just because it's God doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean, you know, I, what, what's the story about Noah? Noah was told to build this ark for how many years? Decades. People thought he was nuts. Just because it's God doesn't mean it's easy, okay? And I think that's one of the reasons why God sent the angel, angel, so that Mary would never forget that it was God who put her up to this. Our series is called Christmas Noise. Last week we talked about the noise of history. Jesus came despite his family history, and he came for you despite your history. And all of that is just noise. It's just static in the background. And this story about Mary, I think, highlights a different um, type of static. And if we pay attention to it, the static, that is, if we pay attention to that noise, then we'll miss the message. And the noise that I'm talking about is the noise of opinion, noise of public opinion. 
because that's a lot of static, right? Now, some of you grew up in a small town. <clears throat> and uh, like Galilee, you knew that everybody was all up in everyone else's business, right? We've all experienced this to some level. And frankly, some of you may have even been hurt by it. And by the way, I'm sorry if that happened to you. I really am. But small towns are, are noted for this. And I think there's some positives to that as well as negatives. But in this particular case, it was going to be a negative. But over the past 10 or 15 years, it seems to me that the small town sort of gossip has exploded exponentially, largely because of these, social media. <clears throat> Gone are the days um, when people would simply share what they were having for lunch. And I gotta be honest, I kinda miss those days. <clears throat> and now it feels like we air everything digitally. Everything. Some things that shouldn't be aired. And especially I've noticed this happening generationally. Um, just recently I came across, I think it was a, a TikTok video. Um, some of you are like, what is that? Don't, don't even bother. But <clears throat> it was a young man, uh, was probably in his early 20s, and he was working at a Starbucks, and he was in the back room crying on TikTok because he, had to, he was scheduled for an eight-hour shift. Yeah. And it was busy, and there were only four people on the floor, and he was sobbing and wants to quit. Now, there is a lot of criticism for that. Um, there is a lot of concern about um, him and that generation that he represents, but I don't want to throw barbs just at that particular individual because there, there's things going on there that I can't fully understand. <clears throat> but if it is generational, there are some things that do not need to be aired publicly on social media. And I feel bad because here's this kid trying to find some type of avenue to share the sadness and the grief, the fear, whatever it happens to be in his heart, he does it publicly, and then he's probably surprised at the fact that he gets some criticism. Now, the easy thing to do is don't put that out on social media, right? Um, call someone, you know, have an individual conversation. <clears throat> And some people are even, you know, what they call cyber-bullied. That's a thing now. Uh, there was a, um, a case a few years ago um, where uh, people have actually, uh, young people have committed suicide because of cyber-bullying. It's, it's, it's crazy what, what happens. And, and all I'm pointing out here is that this idea of the small-town public opinion where everybody is all in, engaged in everybody else's business and whatnot is now on a much larger scale because we've, we've chosen to do this digitally. One of the things that you'll, you'll realize is that technology is always an amplifier. Technology isn't necessarily new in the sense of you know, creating something new, but it always amplifies something else, always. Technology is always some type of amplifier, and we, we can see that for positive things and for negative as well, and we need to... Um, uh, be aware of that. And then on top of it, and here's the other thing that I've noticed too, maybe you have, 
especially in social media and uh, some of the things that have hap been happening recently, it seems to me that there are groups who are trying to make normal things that by definition are abnormal. And that's a problem. <coughs> now, I got plenty to say about social media. Um, and you probably do too. But understand something. When you look at social media, the only thing that you're seeing is the highlight reel of someone else. You don't get to see their struggle. You don't get to see the self-doubt. You don't get to see all of that. And what happens is we end up comparing ourselves, warts and all, because we're aware of it, to someone else's highlight reel. Guess what? You're never going to compare to a highlight reel. So don't do it. You have to understand that you're only playing into kind of that small town, gossipy public opinion that it must be normal for me to wear certain types of clothes, drive certain types of cars, live in certain types of homes, whatever it happens to eat certain types of foods, whatever it happens to be. That's public opinion. That's not your real life. Does this make sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Good, 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 good. I think this is important. We're not seeing all of the details to it, and so when we make those comparisons, we, you know, it's all noise. Keep that in mind. And what happens is when you pay attention to the noise is it keeps you from the message. And the fundamental message of the gospel is that you are sons and daughters of the living God, that you are salt and light, that you are the city on a hill. That's the truth of it, and God understands that despite all your warts and all. He gets all of that. He understands, and understands it, but the message is that you're still a people of destiny. That you have purpose and that you have kingdom sorts of aspirations in your life. And we talk about this is the kingdom, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm going to come back to this over and over again. Because righteousness is not separate from the kingdom. It is part of the kingdom. And it's the first part of the kingdom that you can access. Righteousness. In righteousness and holiness and sanctification, there's that old Wesleyan word, all of that is a prerequisite for the kingdom of God. That's the ultimate message that's being relayed to us through the text, through the stories that we read, not the noise. The noise will keep you from the ultimate message. Now, one other thing about that. I'm going to ask that uh, you uh, refrain from being part of the gossip. Not that any of you do that. I'm not suggesting that. I don't know because I'm not on social media a whole lot. But the thing that I've realized over the years is I don't know the full story of everybody. There's a young man on a TikTok video who's crying about an eight-hour shift. I don't know his story. All I'm seeing is one little, bit, one little part. And yeah, it makes me a little, you know, okay. But what else is going on in his life? I don't know. I don't know any of that. So I don't necessarily want to just level criticism at that particular individual when I don't know the full story. 
And so I think all of us, especially when it comes to social media, need to take a pause back and go, hmm, maybe there's more here than I realize. But more importantly than all of that, what I really want all of us to do, especially here at, at you know, the Christmas season, is I want you to tune into his signal. Get rid of the static, tune into his signal. The, the, word, the, the word that we often use is reorient ourselves to the kingdom, right? Reorient ourselves to, um, to what God is doing. Make the change that we need to in order to do that. The biblical word here is repentance. Repentance means nothing more than to um, flip, to switch, to change direction. <clears throat> And so we're going to give you an opportunity to do that today. Now you can do this in a variety of different ways. Here's just one of them. Um, we have this ancient ritual that Jesus gave us. It's called communion. And it's, it's a moment in time where we pause and we, we think about the, the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled on our behalf to change our destinies. Okay? And when we access that, what we're ultimately doing here is we're reorienting ourselves to him and his purposes. It's a simple thing. But as you take it to today, that's the thing I want you to be thinking about. What is God saying to you this holiday season? Where's the static and where's the signal? What's God saying to you? maybe to your family, but to you specifically. What's he saying to you? Now, um, the Church of God and in Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. That means that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. And we want you to participate in it. And so when uh, Dan's going to come up and he's going to uh, uh, lead us in another worship song, when you're ready, I want you to take the cup, uh, just take the little cracker thing. And uh, as you ingest those, ask God, God, what are you saying to me this Christmas? I want to hear what your signal is. I want to hear that message. I don't want to miss out on anything that you have in mind for me and for my family. And I want you to, to, to lean into that a little bit more. And on the night in which he was betrayed, Lord Jesus took bread, been the common element on the table, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he passed to his disciples, take and eat. And every time you do this, I want you to remember me. And after the supper, he took the cup again, common element on the table. After he'd given thanks, he passed it around to his disciples, said, take and drink. Every time you do, I want you to remember me. And so today, as we take it, it's not just a, a question of remembrance. But we're remembering the fact that he has something to tell us. That he has something that he wants to do. He has something that he wants to say. And I want you to have that opportunity to really um, lean into that a little bit more, especially this holiday season. Let's pray. God, thank you for these great stories and for your insight every single time we we talk about them and every single time that we read them and 
that time of year where it's so easy to get lost in noise. And I pray that your kingdom message would just come through so clearly to all of us. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have this chance uh, to come together as a church family and to love you and to love each other. And we have this chance to participate in communion, the simple ritual that you've given us in order to connect with you again in a different way. Please bless us with your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.